Good morning, my friends. It is a joy to be with you. The last time I was here, it was Easter morning with my two children, and they had a lovely time bringing home all sorts of bringing home all sorts of treats, chocolates and lollipops and starbursts and so forth, as well as ears and butterfly wings. So you are a favorite among all the churches now. <laughs> they think every time they're going to come, they're going to be getting that. So. <laughs> um, it is, it is really a joy. Um, I've gotten to know Pastor Katie and Pastor Nate and many of your members who have been very active at Clue, and so I'm excited to um, share with you all and, and join in worship. A little bit about myself. My name is Reverend Ray Huang, and I am a Presbyterian pastor. And so I bring greetings from my Presbyterian brothers and sisters who are in Santa Monica and all across LA, and I'm part of the Presbytery here. But my calling with the Presbyterian Church is actually not to a congregation. It's into community organizing work. And specifically, I am a faith-rooted organizer with CLU, which stands for Clergy and Laity United for Economic Justice. At CLU, we organize and invite faith communities of all diverse faiths to walk alongside workers in our collective fight, our collective fight, for economic justice. And if you don't know, then you should know that this congregation, your congregation, has been very active working with CLU, actively educating, building, and organizing an economically just vision for the city of Santa Monica. And so it's really been a privilege for me to work with many of you um, in being able to support our worker campaigns here in Santa Monica, as well as the larger LA area, Hosting, um, also, I'm grateful to you all for hosting safe and a welcoming space for when our workers need meetings for their committees or negotiations. Um, and also, um, I'm grateful to you all for participating in the education process of helping our city understand why economic justice is so key and important to creating the just kingdom of God here on earth. So what better passage this morning for the lecture to bring me, but one that is rooted on economic justice and around questions and dialogue around wealth. It's like God knew what God was doing when God gave me this passage, so thank you very much. Our passage this morning, as you heard, comes from the Gospel of Luke, a book where the gospel message and story is infused and integrated with the economic challenges of the time of the people who are writing that gospel. I'd like to give you some, to begin, with some history on the economic situation and class structure of the Roman Empire. You see, the vast majority of the population of the Roman Empire was made up of rural, poor peasants. And above them were landowners, then officials of the kings and tetrarchs, and then the Roman emperors. And under this hierarchy, the peasants were largely exploited and oppressed by urban colonial elites. You see, Roman society was made up of two classes, the elites and the non-elites. The scholarly consensus is that the central and local levels of aristocracy constituted less than 1% of the whole population of the Roman Empire. But this tiny fraction of society, less than 1%, owned the vast proportion of the total wealth of the empire, both in land and other resources. 
Does this sound familiar to you all? <laughs> While the gospel is written for a particular time, for a particular people, there is a lot that we can relate to in this case. And so in our gospel story this morning, it starts with someone, probably a young man, who calls out to Jesus and says to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Jesus responds, Friend, who sent me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? Take care, he says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Over the last few decades, there has been a popular theological development in American Christianity called the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is the idea that if we have enough faith and positive self-will and confidence, God will grant us, God will give us financial and physical health and well-being. God will give us prosperity. But what I find interesting is that, while, is that this prosperity gospel is anathema to what Jesus is teaching today in the gospel of Luke. Instead of lifting up wealth and success, Jesus warns his followers against the folly of wealth and riches. Here in our passage today, Jesus says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. In the Luke and Beatitudes, Jesus preaches, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And then he turns around and warns the rich, But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your reward. And again, in a later teaching moment in Luke chapter 8, a rich young ruler earnestly comes to Jesus and says, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, mind you, Jesus does not say, accept me into your heart as your Lord and Savior, ask for the forgiveness of sins, and you will enter the gates of heaven. No. He says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, instead, suggests a pretty direct economic construct and vision. Sell all that you own. Distribute the money to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. That is how you inherit eternal life. Now when the ruler heard this, he became sad because he was very wealthy. And Jesus looked at him and he said, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. What's interesting here is that the good news that Jesus preaches, the divine inheritance that is promised to Jesus' followers, not only involves a spiritual call to faithful discipleship, but firstly, firstly, a call to an economic vision that is radical 
transformative, wild, and crazy. It's unheard of. It's extreme. It's irrational. It's uncomfortable. And it's uncompromising. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Sell all that you own and distribute it to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. In Luke 4:18 it says and this was the prophecy for Jesus the spirit of the lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor sent me to proclaim release to the captives recovery of the blind sight to the blind to let the oppressed go free In Luke 6:20 it says blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of god In Luke 12:33 it says, "Sell your possession and give alms; make purses for yourself that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys." Luke 14:13 says, "But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind." Sell all that you own and distribute the money to the poor. Then come and follow me. The reason millions over the centuries have followed a radical man named Jesus was not because it was easy, not because it was comfortable, but because especially because his vision was so revolutionary was so necessary was absolutely needed for the people who followed him they needed radical change they needed radical love they needed radical justice Since 1968, the top 1% share of national income has nearly doubled, while the official poverty rate for all US families has merely inched up or down a little bit. Between 1965 and 2011, while the top 10% gained an inflation-adjusted annual income increase of $116,000, The other 90% received a paltry $59. $59. The 400 wealthiest Americans now own more wealth than the bottom 64% or 204 million people. Almost 4 in 10 children spend at least 1 year of their lives in poverty, meaning that that too there is a rise in the number of poor families. Between 1973 and 2016, hourly compensation compensation increased just 12.3%, while productivity increased 73.7%. This has been accompanied by anti-union policies like right-to-work laws that undermined workers' power to bargain collectively. Between 1968 and 2017, the share of US workers in unions fell from 24.9% to 
Thus, instead of going to workers, massive gains from economic growth have been going to a smaller and smaller segment of society. And I could go on. Friends, you know I could go on. <laughs> and you could too. Because it's not just the statistics, but it's the stories, right, that we know of in our own families, amongst our own friends, amongst our neighbors, where we know people are struggling, where we know that we need that radical message of the gospel that says, how do you inherit eternal life? How? By giving it all away to the poor and to God. Then come and follow me. In 1967, Dr. King preached a few months ago before his assassination. The dispossessed of this nation, the poor, both white and Negro, live in a cruelly unjust society. They, together, must organize a revolution against the injustice, not against the lives of the persons who are their fellow citizens, but against the structures through which the society is refusing to take means which have been called for and which are at hand to lift the load of poverty. The only revolutionary, he says, the only revolutionary, people say, is a man who has nothing to lose. There are millions of poor people in this country who have very little or even nothing to lose. If they can be helped to take action together, if we can come together and take action together, we will do so with a freedom and a power that will be a new and unsettling force in our complacent national life. Dr. King preached this over 50 years ago, and today, my friends, I preach it today because it is real today. Amen? Amen. My friends, let me be clear. Being wealthy is not sinful. It is the accumulation of wealth that is sinful because it is at the cost of the poor. Wealth that is accumulated on the backs of the poor. Being rich is not sinful. It is the means of how we get rich that is sinful. Riches that are amassed through the oppression of our brothers and sisters. Riches that are amassed through the exploitation of our earth and God's creatures. Wealth and poverty are the two sides of the same coin. Where there is wealth, there is great poverty. And where there is poverty, there is great wealth. The lie in our nation is that we do not have enough. That poverty is the fault of the poor. Like the parable of the rich fool today that we heard in the gospel message who builds a barn to hold his successful harvest, 
Scarcity and the fear of scarcity is what makes us want to build bigger barns, to hide and hold our riches for me and for mine, for later, for just in case. And you know what? In this day and age, the fear is real. The fear is terrifying. The fear looms very large in our lives. But the truth that we hear in the gospel today is that we, my friends, the truth is we have enough. God has made enough. In the following passage after our lectionary reading today, Jesus continues on. He says, Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like the lilies of the field. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you and me? And do not keep striving for what you are to eat and what you are to drink, and do not keep worrying. For it is the nations of the world that strive after these things, and your Father knows you need them. Instead, strive for his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, Jesus says. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give to you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourself that do not wear out an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, your heart is there also. Our calling, my friends, is not about self-impoverishment or self-satisfying benefaction, for only God knows what we need. Our calling is about the redistribution of wealth and power because God has made enough. As my children learn in their preschool class, sharing is caring. <laughs> and divine wealth, my friends, is not made of gold and diamonds, investments and business. Oh no, divine wealth, my friends, is made of relationships and people. That's what divine wealth is. Divine wealth is fresh air and mountains. Divine wealth is songs and stories. And divine power? Divine power is not made of money and fame. Divine power is the gathering of people and resources to create change revolutionary change, radical change that calls for the redistribution of power and money from one person to all people, from one boss 
to a committee of workers, from one elected official to the thousands that elected him or her, from one mansion to a thousand units of affordable housing, from one paycheck to hundreds of raised living wages. That, my friends, is divine wealth. That, my friends, is divine power. Amen? Two years ago, a group of hotel housekeepers gathered with a few pastors, council members, community leaders here in Santa Monica to talk about the concerns they had in the workplace. And out of those conversations came a policy that included protections for housekeepers from sexual assault, needed comprehensive trainings on safety and rights in the workplace, fair compensation, and a worker retention provision to ensure, ensure needed job security. The workers invited community members, including this congregation, to join together, to rally together in support of this policy. And we did. Together we held press conferences, together we organized educational forums, together we collected in signatures for endorsement forms and wrote letters. Together, we marched down the street. Together, we sang songs down the street. Together, we met with city council members and community leaders to tell them and tell the city that this policy is not just for the few. This policy is for all of us. Divine wealth, my friends. Divine power. And together, over the next few weeks, we will continue to send letters to City Council. So pay attention. We will still meet at City Hall in another week. Pay attention. And then, at the end of this month, on August 27th, my friends, we will pass this policy, not for the few, not for some, but for every single one of us. Divine power, divine wealth. My friends, we may not have money. We may not have gold and diamonds and mansions, but we have our songs. We have our stories. We have the ocean breeze, we have the mountains, we have our faith, we have this church, and we have each other. We have each other. And so we are rich, we are wealthy, we are powerful. And we, my friends, are very, very strong. Amen.